Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. It's good to see you and good to be with you. Please take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11. It's got the Psalms and then Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon and Isaiah, if that helps you find it. Or you can take your phone or your device, iPad, and and go to esvbible.org, and you'll be able to find it there as well. Well, the theme that we've kind of been talking about as we've studied the book of Ecclesiastes is that we are kind of on this bus tour with Solomon through life under the sun. And we've gone through many stops. We've looked at his accomplishments. We've looked at work. We've looked at marriage. We've looked at suffering. We've looked at funeral homes. We've looked at all kinds of things in life under the sun. And now, really, there's no more stops. We're, we're heading back to the station where Solomon picked us up. We're riding back at this point. It's only two sermons left this week and next week. And really, it's we're kind of riding back, and we're sitting quietly and Solomon's got his song that he wrote from chapter three, that there's a season for everything. That's kind of playing over the speakers, and we're all sitting quietly rethinking our lives. And that's really, I think, Solomon and the Lord's intended aim for this book, that we would listen to the words of the Holy Spirit from this, from this word, and we would sit back and rethink our lives. I mean, where, where am I chasing the steam Where am I trying to find purpose and significance and meaning and things that are havel, that are vapor, that are are just vanishing, that are vanity? And as we head back, Solomon begins in chapter 11, he just kind of begins to say some things like, hey, thank you for riding Solomon's joyride under the bus. Hope you enjoyed your time. Watch your step. When you get off, you can, you know, we do validate your, your parking, whatever, when you arrive. But let me share a few more words before we get off the bus. And that begins chapter 11 and on through through chapter 12. So let's read together God's word beginning in chapter 11, verse 1. And if you're able, as we do every week, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. And we hear from the Holy Spirit through Solomon, beginning in 11.1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both are alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity, fleeting, vapor. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now as we gather here to meet with you, to worship you, the triune God. We know there is nothing sacred about this building, but we know there is something sacred about your body gathering together. Your redeemed children gathering to hear from your word to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song and to make melody to you from our hearts. Whether we are here or in a mud hut or in a cafetorium or in a living room, we're gathering to worship you, Lord. So meet us here now and do only what you can do by your power and for your glory and for your name and in your name we ask, amen. You may be seated. You know, it's debatable which word babies learn first. There's usually about four, top four that usually happen. You got mama, that seems to be the first one. Dada, no, or mine. And we usually know which one gets said more. It's a real toss-up between mama and mine. And right now we have a little two-year-old son. He'll be three in November, and he loves the word mama. It's mama, 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 everything. And if I'm coming up to help him, mm, 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 no, 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 mama, mama, mama. And then even last night, we're putting our kids to bed, and we're praying in our daughter's room, and she's got all these beanie boos all over her bed, these little beanie boo toys. And he jumps on that bed and goes, beanie boos. He grabs them, mine, 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 mine. Not one of them is his, but they're all his in his mind. You know, and as a little kid, it's, it's funny and it's cute when a little two-year-old's like, mine, 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 mine. They're learning. He, they, he doesn't get that, hey, we bought this. Even this toy that you play with, we bought it. It's not really yours. We're just letting you play with it. It's not that bad when a toddler says mine. It is a terrible tragedy when adults are still saying mine, mine, my money, my house, my life. Solomon's reminding us that we are not the creator. Look at 12.1. This is kind of the the hinge in the middle of what we read this morning. 12.1. Remember your creator. Because we forget our creator. And if we have to be reminded that God is the creator, what that implies is that, oh yeah, we are not the creator. That we are the creation. That he is the creator. He is the one that has ultimate possession and power and patents on everything under the sun. That it's all his, not ours. Even our very lives 
don't even belong to us. And Solomon shows this back in chapter 11. So how do we live in light of this? Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now Solomon's listeners would have immediately understood him, what he was saying. This is a famous ancient Near Eastern way of, of describing things. But it's a, it's a funny sounding phrase to us. I'm sure none of us have said this week, hey, you know what you should do with that? You should cast your bread upon the waters. I'm going to make a sandwich. You know, like this is, this is how we talk about bread. And if you've ever casted bread upon waters, you know you're not going to get it back because the ducks at Barrows Park are going to eat it and they're going to attack you if you don't have any more, which has happened to me. What this is, is a phrase, is a way of saying in Solomon's culture, be generous, be gracious. I mean, bread's valuable. You eat it, it gives you nourishment, all these kinds of things. He says, no, cast it on the waters. Give it away. Be generous. Be gracious. Be giving. It's not a waste to be generous. It's not a waste to give to others. Well, what does he mean by, for, for you will find it after many days? That it's not going to be void. It will not return to you void. As the New Testament says, what a man sows, he reaps. It's a Hebrew way of saying what goes around comes around. And in the next verse, in verse 2, really, Solomon really makes it even more clear. Look at verse 2. Give a portion. Okay, all right. Give a portion to what? Seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So what is it, Solomon? Seven or eight, make up your mind. Can we trust you? I mean, what is he doing here? Of course, he's, if you're familiar with scripture, seven is what? It's a great number, common number, perfect number, holy number. So give a portion to seven. Be generous to seven. Be kind, gracious, giving. Not eight, even more. Go above and beyond. Nine? Sure. Nine's implied. Don't hem it in, he's saying. It's a way of saying, don't be afraid to be too kind, to be too giving, to be too generous. Because listen, under the sun, our flesh, we have a short circuit in our heart towards loving others. Our instinct is to hoard and to keep because stinginess is the natural way of our flesh, the way of our thinking. And I know this too. I know you know this, that if there is one cold Topo Chico left in the fridge and Nally and I are having dinner and I'm up getting the drinks and I see there's only one, I would be lying if there was not this still small voice in my heart going, bummer. Not, oh good, I get to give it to her. But bummer, I have to give it to her. Because stinginess is just, it's a part of our natural way of thinking. Or when, when friends are coming over, having a party, and, and you put the snacks out first that you don't care about. You save the ones that you love, the good chips. I'm keeping the name brand. They can have the ATB brand. <laughs> it's like in the Gospels when Jesus changed the water to wine at Cana. What does everyone say when they have it? They're like, whoa, who put the good wine out? You don't put out the good wine first. You save that, never. You don't put it out for these kinds of events. Why? Because they couldn't believe someone was going to be that gracious, ge that generous, and that kind to put out the good stuff. That's our way of thinking. We're surprised when people give us the good stuff because God brims over with generosity. He's abounding in kindness and grace and mercy, lavishing us with gifts. I mean, our entire lives are one of God lavishing gifts on us. 
our whole lives, the fact that you are here right now is an evidence of God lavishing gift after gift upon you. I mean, air conditioning is a blessing. We don't need it to live. You can have a good human life and not have air conditioning. You don't need it to live. We wouldn't live in Houston, but you don't need it to live. It's not a human necessity. It's, it's a gift. And since we are his children, and, and we have received the gift of grace, the gift of Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead, and now he's given us that gift, and, and now the gift of the Holy Spirit, and now the gift of the local church, and then the gift of his word, and the gift of prayer, and then the gift of the new earth to come. You see, he gives gift after gift after gift for God so loved he gave. And now we are called to be givers too. Because we have received so much, he says, now you give. You cast your bread upon the waters. You give a portion to seven, to eight. Because look at what he says at the end of verse two. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If you're stingy toward others, it might be too late for you to help them. Or the inverse, you might lose it all before you could have helped others. So you've been thinking about blessing someone in your missional community, and you've got the money, and you and your spouse agree, cast that bread upon the waters. You've been thinking about helping a church plant or or sponsoring a compassion child or going on a mission trip on your own, fully funded. Cast that cash on the waters. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they hoard it for themselves. No, they empty themselves on the earth. So as stuffed clouds pour out the rain, Solomon says, you too pour yourself out in generosity and hospitality to others while we live under the sun. Because hospitality isn't havel. It isn't fleeting. It's an act of love, of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's really one of the most kind of practical, tangible ways that we love other people as ourselves, that we treat them in our homes as though they were us. We give them the good food, the good drink, the good chair. Oh, the good chair. Your chair. Got one guy that comes over, one of the elders, loves Steve. I didn't want to say his name, but I said it. Steve, (laughs) he sits in the chair. And I love that he sits in the chair. And you deserve it, man. It's your house. Kick back. Did you know the chair kicks back? Kick back. Because hospitality, it is really a, it is a time portal into the new heavens and the new earth. Because heaven is a place of hospitality. Heaven is a place of love, and heaven is a place of hospitality, of God welcoming us into his kingdom, and not treating us like servants, but treating us like his own, treating us like his children. Do you remember what Jesus says in the Gospels when he's talking about how he's going to leave in John 14? He says, In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's not bragging. Hey, guys, you know, my father's house is big, bigger than your lame house. You know, he's not doing that. He's telling us why. Because if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, I am going to leave. I'm going to ascend back to the Father, but I'm not abandoning you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to prepare the house, prepare the table, prepare the food, and I'm going to be hospitable to you for eternity. 
hospitality, welcoming, serving, gifting, giving, inviting. These are all dimensions of the grace of God, which is why the Lord says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when we give, we are walking in the image of God. Who, what did God do? He gave up his son. And then the son then gave us his spirit. And then the spirit then gives us gifts. And then we are now, we have received his righteousness. And then Jesus gives us all that his is. Everything that belongs to Christ, he says, it's yours. This is why Neptune belongs to you. Because it belongs to Jesus and he says, now it's yours. And now we are co-heirs with him for eternity. And when we're stingy, stinginess is just a shade of unbelief under the sun. That I got to hoard it. This is my best life now. Now, stinginess is just a shade of unbelief under the sun. But generosity is a glimmer of the gospel of grace. Solomon's point is that we should really love others boldly. It doesn't minimize anything else we do. It doesn't minimize their job. Or, because sometimes we look, well, why should I bless them? They should have worked harder. You don't know how things happen. That's kind of what he's intimating in verse 3. The tree falls to the south or to the north. Whichever way that tree falls, that's where it, that's where it lies. This guy talking about hinting at firewood. The tree fell on that property, sweet, I got firewood. Tree fell on this property, sweet, I got firewood. It's just, hey, this is where the tree fell. You don't know the way their job works or the way your job doesn't work. If we're over-calculating and overthinking, I don't have enough wine for them or I better, I better keep some of that for myself. I've been saving this steak. I didn't know they were coming over. I only have two Coke Zeros left. How in the world could I let them open my fridge and see? You know, I... I know they need help with car repairs and we're in the same group, but I've been saving to go to this concert. Solomon's point is to love others boldly and to use our jobs to love and to serve and the things that God has given to love and to serve others. Because look at verse five. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And I look at verse six. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. Why? For you do not know that which will prosper. So verse 5, he says, you don't know the work of God. Verse 6, you don't know that which will prosper. He's telling us, step back and realize, you don't know. You don't know why they have it and why you don't. You don't know why you have it and that they don't. You don't know why they're going through the suffering. You don't know why these things are unfolding in this way. But he's tells us to step back and see God is at work. And he's inviting us to cast our bread on the waters. Verse five, look at it again. As you do not know the way of the spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a woman with child. He says, you want to wrap your mind around pregnancy? How all this works? How no one on earth can, even right now, I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago and Solomon says, pregnancy is amazing. How this unfolds. And how us 2,000 years later, now we have all this science. We've got all these pictures. We're still amazed. We're still baffled that two microscopic titans would collide and make what's standing in front of you, what's sitting next to you. We're baffled and amazed and joyous at the work of God. That This is what God does. And he says, you can't understand it. Now, he says, Want look at the womb and back up to the entire world. You don't know how God is at work and what God is doing. Look at the world and be amazed. 
we do not fully comprehend all that God is doing. I mean, why are babies so stinking cute? God did that, showing us a side of him. Why, why is rolling thunder and thunder claps? Why are they so ominous and scary? I mean, even our two-year-old now, he goes, that's scary. And here's the thunder. Why? God's showing us another dimension, another side of who he is. Why beautiful sunsets? Why are strawberries sweet? Because God is at work showing us things about him. There is caution tape circling the earth. And God is at work. And one day his work will be done. The nations will be reached. Christ will descend. The books will be opened. The dead will rise. And then judgment day will be here. But until then, Solomon says, give boldly and generously. Remember that you are not the creator, that you are not God, that you don't deserve what he gives and that we don't fully understand what he does. So let's live and work boldly. That's verse six. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. That pairs up with verse four. He who observes the wind will not sow. This is a guy who's, he's scared to go out. Yeah, I think it's gonna be too windy. My seeds might get blown away. He's looking for reasons. Yeah, I don't know if I should be out there. It looks like it might rain. I don't know, I don't know. Verse six, he says, don't be paralyzed by the possibilities. Take action. He gives a farming analogy. You got you sow it in the morning. You got other stuff in your hand that maybe you could do. You don't know which one will prosper. So what does he say? Do them both. This or that. Whether both alike will be good. Give it a shot. Try them both. Sure, it may not work. You don't know, but at least you tried. Our families tried ventures. Didn't work out. Hey, it was fun. Fun to try. Didn't work out. Great. You don't know which one will prosper, this or that. Maybe they'll both be good. Maybe they'll both fail. Under the sun, it honors God to put your hands to work. And I think of my dad when I read this verse. He's a hardworking man. He's got a machine shop in Houston, does well, and he's presented with an opportunity to start making these specialized washers, just washers, and not like ones you could buy at Lowe's. I mean, like things for nuclear power plants and withstand all kinds of heat. I don't know. I don't understand it. He's presented with opportunity, but hmm, okay, yeah, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. Finances made sense, all worked out, looks good. Some people might see that and go, oh man, risky in this economy you do that? Oh, brother. Psalm would sit back and go, good for you. Good for you, matters, give it a shot. It'd be one thing if the numbers and the market and everything was like, ooh, bad time, don't do it. You don't have the finances, it's too risky. It'd be another thing if all the numbers looked right and he was like the fool in Proverbs that said, ah, there's probably a line in the road. I don't know. <coughs> Solomon's counsel to us under the sun is to give it a whirl. Give it a shot. It's not dishonoring to God to want to be successful and to be bold in business. It's dishonoring to be fearful and anxiety-driven. And we know it's dishonoring to make a God out of business, but it's not dishonoring to want to be successful in business. Because God wants us to enjoy life. So, do what's good. You don't know whether or not it will be good. God looks at us and says, look, enjoy it all. Jesus knows the difficulties of life under the sun. He lived here. He knows the pressures we face. He knows the pain. He knows the temptations that we encounter. And he tells us, go and enjoy it. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. You know, the sun does a lot of things in our galaxy. That's like the understatement of the sermon. The sun is important. Uh, yeah, duh. We all know sun's important, right? 
that raging ball of gas swirling and spinning and weather patterns and photosynthesis and gravity. I mean, it's just this ball of gas. The top is spinning one way at one speed and the middle spinning another way at another speed. It's just an amazing thing. And aside from all the scientific neato facts about the sun, the Bible says God put the sun there for your joy. It is pleasant, pleasant for the eyes to see the sun Do you find pleasantries in the sun on a nice sunny day? I mean, we all do this. We know. We have a nice day. It doesn't feel like Houston, but it feels like California. The humidity is not at 99%. It's like at 50 or 40, and it's beautiful, gorgeous. Everyone's like, what a beautiful day, posting pictures of their feet in the grass and all these kinds of things. (laughs) You go for a swim. You're playing in the yard, eating outside. I mean, we don't eat outside very often. When you get to eat outside here in Texas, it's like, man, this was fun. That was pleasant. That is a gift from God. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I mean, the middle of our solar system was designed as a warmer for your joy. A practical, blazing, non-ignorable pleasantry from God. Inescapable reminder of God. That every day we see the sun, we remember our creator. God made that. Not just to help create the right atmosphere, but to remind us, yes, he is God. So let's not get bored of God's creation. Never. And it's marvelous. And you have something as mundane as the sun. See it every day. And yeah, we put on sunglasses, we put on the visor, we try to escape it at times. We put stuff on so we don't get burned and all this kind of, yeah, the sun causes a lot of problems too, but also we're supposed to look at it and go, it's good. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. That's verse eight. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. One reason why older Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet is one, you've been blessed by the sweetness of the sun for decades longer than most of us. A long life under, this is what Solomon's saying, he's talking to the older folks. A long life under the sun should be glowing with joy because you have seen what's fleeting, you've seen what's lasting, and you know God is at work. But what often, what often happens with older folks? Usually the inverse. You can look at movies, TV shows. How are the older folks usually characterized? As grumps as curmudgeons. Everyone's out to get them. Everyone's messing them up. Everything is meh. Meh. Just classic like old person movie line. I'll never forget this elderly married couple in the car wash in Tomball. I went to go get my truck washed and sitting there and they had to be two of the most miserable people I've ever seen. He's got his blue mechanic jumper on. He's not a mechanic. He's just got a onesie on and he's walking around, and they both got their canes. And he's walking slowly, of course. And she's a little bit faster, but not much. She's already sat down, and he's standing looking for his receipt. And she's like, oh, George, will you hurry up and sit down? Just hurry up. Blah, blah, blah. And she's barking at him. And he's just like, woman. And he just finally sat down. And they, like, start saying some four-letter words to each other. I'm like, going, I'm sitting here going, is this for real? Am I, like, on candid camera? This can't be happening. It was really just a really sad and really not that uncommon thing. 
And then I thought this week about this video, you can probably find it, of this grandma riding a roller coaster for the first time. And it was amazing. She'd never been on a roller coaster. She gets on it, and she is smiling so big. Like, you watch it, and you're smiling. You probably get a little teary, like, this is so cool. She's smiling. She's getting younger, I think, as she's going, because she's just having so much fun and having so much joy. God advocates for that kind of posture in life. You really, that's where both, both of us, those, both, those are the options for all of us, one or the other. We'll either end up like the grumpy people at the car wash or the grandma, so much joy on the roller coaster. That's where we're headed, one or the other. And then older saints, you've seen more of God's work. You've seen more of God's work in your life. You've seen more of God's work in the lives of your friends. You've seen more of God's work more than decades. I mean, some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. And I I really do say this in the first service too. I want to plead with every older person in the church, every older person in our church, I want to plead with you. Now, how old? I don't know. 50 plus, empty nesters? I I don't know. But if you think I'm talking to you, you're right. That seems to be a safe way to do it. If you don't think I'm talking to you, ask your spouse, should he be talking to me? You know, <laughs> do that. Here's what I'm going to plead with you from Solomon, from the Lord, from verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Older saints, lead us in rejoicing. Show us, model for us how to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be the pace car of joy in the local church. Remind us again where joy is found. Remind us again that, yeah, kids do that, but remember where joy is found. Remind us again, yeah, sometimes economies happen. Sometimes jobs don't work out. Remind us again where our rock is. Lead us in joy. I want you to outjoy the younger folks. Because look at how he says, look at how he finishes verse 8. Let him remember that days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So he says, hey, remember, the day of death is coming. And that day will outnumber the days of life under the sun. This is true of Solomon. Solomon's body has been in the grave longer than it was walking around on the earth. But a day is coming when we will be resurrected. And our spirit and our soul and our bodies, they will collide again, be resurrected, and be joined back, and will live forever with Jesus on the new earth. But until then, show us the way of joy. Remind every young person in this church by the way you live, the way you talk, the way you smile, the way you pray that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That God is faithful and he always does good and only does good. Will you do that for us? And and younger people, us youngsters, verse 9, Solomon says, rejoice, you too rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. So he says too, rejoice. You're young, rejoice. And look what he says specifically. Rejoice that you are young. Yesterday, Mark Vandruff and I were talking. He was saying, oh, to be, you know, 30 again. That I could play basketball with some of you guys who play basketball and so I could beat you. And I was thinking about that and thinking about my sermon. I got, yeah, I should rejoice. Rejoice that I can still play a pickup game of basketball and not need immediate medical attention. <laughs> that 
I'm, I'm really, I'm struck by, as going through this book, how much God is inviting us to rejoice and to have fun. This is a missing piece in our modern day Christian theology. Yes, holiness matters. Yes, we should not be sinning. Yes, but also we should be having fun and enjoying life. He's inviting us again and again and again to rejoice, rejoice in life, rejoice under the sun. I mean, God made fun. The fact that we can even have fun is from our creator. The fact that there are tickle spots, and you can have tickle fights with your kids, is a gift that God designed in our bodies that when that happens, oh, we would be tickled. (laughs) That we would have fun. Fun and rejoicing come from the very heart of God, which is why he says, have it. Look at what he says in verse 9. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Now, if you know some verses, you know that sounds contrary to other places in Scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. So walk in my heart. here's, Here's what he means. Obviously, he doesn't mean do whatever you want, have fun. If it's sinful, who cares? That's not what he means. The Bible would never give that kind of license. Why? Because look at the end of verse 9. But no. So yeah, walk in the ways of your heart. What you feel like you want to do, do it. In the sight of your eyes, enjoy it. But no. For all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So there is a real judgment. So what does he mean here? Well, he means have heaps of holy fun. Have, have tons of holy fun. And holy fun isn't just like, oh, I want to organize evangelism tracks. That'd be like so fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> holy fun. Fun that is not sinful. So you want to go see Captain America Civil War three times in the theaters? That seems excessive to me, but you want to do it, go do it. It's, it's according to your heart. That's, that's not my heart. You want to go skydiving? Do it. That ain't my heart. I, I get nervous walking down the street. Just, just, that's your heart. Have a blast. You got the money? Do it. You want to go to Disney World? Never been. Save up. Go. God's not stopping you. See, the Bible gives us all kinds of things. That's sinful. Don't do that. This is righteous. Do that. The Bible gives us directions for right and wrong. The Bible doesn't give us directions for right or left. That's, just do it. The Lord will lead you. The Lord will guide you. You want to go to that nice restaurant downtown everyone's talking about and you see friends posting about? Make a date night. Take the initiative. Do it. And for a couple of years now, our family, we've, we've wanted a golden doodle puppy. You got to see these things. They're adorable. Like, this is probably the only animal I look at and I feel something. <laughs> I feel something deep inside. They're so cute. And I, I, I was sick a little bit this week and I was laying in bed and I was just looking at pictures of golden doodles on my phone. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love them. And we're going to get one this summer because Solomon said to. And I can't wait. Neither can our kids. And now I've started playing basketball again just, uh, and hobbies. I mean, what hobbies do you have that you wish you could have again or that you wish you could have? And it makes sense financially. It's responsible, et cetera. God says, go for it. The Lord gives you two thumbs up. Rejoice. Rejoice. And verse 10, remove. So he's been telling us, rejoice, rejoice. And now he says, remove. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He says, now remove what is clogging your rejoicing. 
remove vexation, this anxiety that some of us are just riddled with, and pain, and fear, and bitterness, and resentment, and grudges, all these things that are clogging up your joy. Solomon says, take it to the curb. Cut the leash off of that grumpiness in your life. I hate when I'm grumpy. I hate it. it, I hate when it happens. It happens too much sometimes, especially in the mornings. And I'm short with the kids for no reason. She's asking questions about something, and I'm just like, why are you talking right now? (laughs) And I'm getting irritated, like, why? Remove it, Solomon says. We all get irritable soul syndrome. And we remove it by repentance and by out-rejoicing it. This is why he says, rejoice and rejoice and now remove. And then remember your creator. The rejoicing in the Lord and the remembering of the Lord will help remove and to squeeze out and to choke and to nuke the things that clog up our rejoicing. And the pain, the put away pain, the word just means evil. Things that are causing you pain that are sins in your life. Sins that we're entangled in, that are bringing pain into your marriage. Your sarcastic mouth, your laziness, your cold shoulder, all of these kinds of things, the pains that are pride. Solomon says, remove them, put them away. Not just confess them. We Christians in the Bible, we can be good at confessing things. We're not that great at repenting of things. Confession is just going, oh, yeah, we got toxic mold in the kitchen. There it is. Sorry. That, that's confession. Yeah, we admit this is bad. Repentance is the removal of that toxic mold from the kitchen. And repentance and rejoicing go side by side. What needs removing today? What needs repenting of today? Where is the Lord inviting you to remove vexation from your life? to repent of these things, to look to Jesus, say, I'm bringing it to you again, Lord. Help me. Help me put this sin to death by the Spirit so that I may live. And what needs rejoicing in today? What, What do you need rejoicing in? Because listen, the cross of Christ is the mechanism for them both. It is the mechanism for rejoicing, and it is the constellation for our joy. The cross is the crucifixion of our sin, and it is the constellation of our joy. If that, if you know Jesus, you know his cross, you know his life, you know his death in your place for your sins, you know the way to see your sins removed, that they've been put to death with Christ, and that it's the constellation for your joy because you know that by the cross of Christ, I am forgiven that I am redeemed by his blood, that I am made new, the old has passed and the new has come that there is a resurrection of the life to come and eternal life is mine. So as we live under the sun, rejoice, rejoice, remove, and remember him. 12.1, remember, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Let's remember our creator. Remember who the triune God is, that he is God, that he is the creator And that we are his creation, whom he loves and cares for. So if he's reminding us he's the creator, it's implying we are not the creator. And I love that bundled up in these lessons are reminders that he personally made you. Everything about you, God made. Your appearance, your height, your sense of humor, 
your talents. God, God made this about you. The, the tree on your yard that you love, the shade, God made that for you. The apple you're going to eat this afternoon, God made that apple for you at that moment. You were personally, wonderfully, and purposely made by God. Every single one of us matters. It doesn't matter if you're in second grade or you're 70 years old. You personally matter to God. There is a design and glorious God-ordained, God-given, and God-centered purpose for your life. We aren't just merely passing through. We have a purpose under the sun. We live in light of him. So when he says, remember your creator, this is not just to go, don't forget God exists. That's not what that means. It means remember he's there and live in light that he is there. Remember that God is your creator, that you are creation, and live in light of who God is and what he has done for you. It's to live for his glory. And Solomon says, look at what he says. Remember your creator before the evil days come. And this long description from verse 1 all the way to verse 7, he's describing old age hitting upon us. We're not meant to age. We're not me- our bodies are not meant to break down in this way. This is just a ripple effect from sin. And one reason why he's saying rejoice right now, remember your creator in the days of your youth, he's addressing the younger folks because it's your, younger people, they're not set in their ways yet. They're still more apt to make changes. And of course, older folks can make changes. What's more common is that younger people can change their job more. They can change the whole path of their life. They can change finances. They can pick up and move. They, they can go to the mission field quicker. I, everyone can do those things. But it's, it's younger. It's easier for younger folks. So what does he say? Remember your creator. Live in light of your creator before these evil days come, before the quality of your life rapidly diminishes under the sun. He's saying, use your prime for his fame, not just yours. Use the prime of your life for the fame of Christ. Don't wait till tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. Serve him today because a day is coming when you really, you almost won't be able to move. Solomon's giving this amazing picture of what's going to happen to us all. Look at verse 3. So what are these evil days? Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. It's even a whole analogy about a house and about a property breaking down. It's a metaphor for our bodies. Who are the keepers of the house? What trembles? Our arms, our hands. Get older, you just can't can't control them. So you want want to go build a house in Haiti? You want to serve an orphanage? You want to do it now before the hands tremble? I think about, you know, God's allowed me to write books, and I, I want to just use that time just to go before my hands tremble too much, and I can't keep them on the keyboard. And he says, then the grinders cease. What are the grinders? Your teeth. He says, they're, they're not working anymore because they're, they're gone. The grinders cease because they're few. So now it's all smoothies and applesauce <laughs> and jello. Those who look through the window are dimmed. Who looks through windows? Your eyes. Saying the eyes begin to not work anymore. I think of J.I. Packer, who's wrote dozens of amazing books, and he, uh, he's very old, and he's still working. Until recently, he's gone blind in both eyes. He was just blind in one, and he was still writing books and preaching and teaching, and now he's pretty much blind in both eyes. And he's still teaching in a seminary, but he's, I can't write anymore. Using it until it all shuts down. Look at the next one. Verse 4. The doors on the street are shut. That's the mouth. It's kind of just closed. It's sunken in. 
when the sound of the grinding is low, one, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. So two ways, either you're super deaf or you're super sensitive. So now, and I know this already, the rise at the sound of a bird. Man, we've got these birds in our house that I wish they were not there. Especially on a Saturday. They like to sing early. We've got these single pane windows, and I don't like them. I'm not rejoicing in these birds. Already at 31, I'm like, get that bird out of here. And there was one night, like one o'clock in the morning, we're going to sleep, we're asleep, and then we hear this, this big frog outside of our window. And my kids sleep through anything. And now there's a frog here. And now I'm outside in my, you know, my shorts and some Converse, a flashlight trying to find a frog. A grumpy old man out there. We're all wearing down. Verse 5, they are afraid also what is high. And terrors are in the way. But when you, the older you get, you get more timid and more scared of certain things. And I think of Natalie's grandmother when she's in town. We pick her up from the airport. We're driving home in Houston, you know, around Beltway 8. And I'm just driving normally, going the speed limit, all that stuff. I'm just going to change lanes. <laughs> like, okay, we're just, everything's fine. And then, oh, you hit, slow down, hit your brakes. We're going 50. We're okay. It's like three car lengths between us, grabbing the handle. Almond tree blossoms. It gives off a white blossom. The hair is going white. The grasshopper drags itself along. Grasshoppers don't drag themselves along. They hop. They have spring. But now this grasshopper's got orthopedics, and it's just, it's it's going. And desire fails. The libido is gone because man's going to his eternal home. He's aging, and the mourners go about in the streets. Verse 6, the silver cord is snapped. What do you think that is? It's the spine. Now you have back problems and, and bulging discs and herniated discs and no discs. And like, I was with some guys, some older guys, and they were talking, and one guy was naming off all of the, oh, yeah, you got C7 and D2 and all these like spine things. I'm like, How do you know all this? Oh, man, back problems. Wow. The silver cord gets snapped. The golden bowl is broken. Something that's the brain or even the head. It's brain problems, head problems. The pitcher is broken at the fountain, the wheel, the cistern. This big analogy about water flowing through this mechanism is about our hearts pumping and blood throwing through our veins. And it stops. It's broken. It's shattered. We're dead. Verse 7, and, to, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. To dust we shall return, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. In verse 8, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. The exact phrase he used in chapter 1 of how he opens the entire book. Havel, Hevelim, says the preacher. Havel, Hevelim. Vanity, breath, Havel. It's all fleeting. It's all leaving. Life under the sun is fleeting. Your youth your bouncy skin, your memory, your strength, it's all diminishing as we speak. You've already lost some grasshopperness as we've been sitting here. And some of us are going to get up when we take communion, and a lot of us are going to go, ah, when we stand up. <laughs> this day, remember your creator. Not just, oh yeah, he's there, but live in light of your creator. Jesus Christ all things, Colossians says, were created through him and to him and for him. And without him, there is nothing that exists. So have you forgotten him? 
Have you kind of fanned him off? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll live for him tomorrow. I'll, I'll take care of that next week. I'll get serious about Christ next year. No, no, today is the day. Remember your creator. Does his death and resurrection really matter to your life today? Will you rejoice and rejoice and remove and remember and rejoice? What, what isn't vanity, what isn't fleeting is remembering and living and aligning and following your creator all these days under the sun. Don't, let's not live like the stingy children yelling mine and yelling it at God. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. As Paul says, now we glorify our creator in our bodies. He's our creator, our God, our savior. Let's submit and follow him before the days of darkness hit and it's too late. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity under the sun. So let's live for what is eternal and submit to the one who is eternal and who's coming to get us quickly. Let's pray together.